When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Good Music Podcast, a show where we discuss artists, songs, and talk about why we love them. New episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and become a patron to gain access to exclusive content. And now, on with the show. Welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. And I'm Ethan, and welcome to the show. Make sure you're subscribed because we have new episodes coming out every Monday. And if you've been around for a while and you have an artist that you'd like us to talk about, let us know by messaging us on Facebook and Instagram. Lastly, if you love the show, click the Patreon link and become a patron. You get episodes early, special access to our favorite segment, the Bad Music Podcast, where we get to talk about the six worst songs from our artists that week. Which brings us to... Lucas, who are we talking about today? This is an episode that I have wanted to do ever since I created the podcast. And I didn't want to like just stack with all of my favorites right up front. I kind of wanted to spread them out. And this is absolutely one of my all-time favorite groups. And I'm excited to finally do an episode on them. Uh, We're going to be talking about... Uh, one of the seminal prog rock groups, yes. No way. Ooh. I thought you were going to like pick something way out of the wheel well. Because we nope. had done a whole lot of like rock stuff recently. It feels like. Well, I guess we just did Stevie Wonder. Yeah. This is this is one that is just I've wanted to do forever. I'm just and I've I've got a I've got a specific reason why I'm doing it now, but that going to be a spoiler for later on at a future episode so i'm not going to say yet oh are we going to do an episode on no (laughs) that would be funny but no (laughs) oh man we're going to have so many yes puns in here yes we are (laughs) this is going to be bad (laughs) (laughs) i didn't intend to do that this is not good (laughs) so yes yes has been around for quite a long time they have been around since the late since sixty nine. Oh, so wow. they were part of the first movement of Prague. So we'll go ahead and jump into our first thoughts. So Grant, um, what do you know about Yes? How do you feel about them? Owner of a lonely heart. Um, the intro to Roundabout, and that is where my knowledge of Yes ends. Oh, I've good. always been like told by the super like prog heads that are into King Crimson and of course are into Rush that are like oh yeah Yes is a great band like they have such a good bassist which is such a prog thing to say (laughs) Um, because like they all have good bassists right it's kind of required yeah 
but my personal knowledge, it honestly ends there. So this is like any other episode, really. I'm in the middle. I'm at a five. You wouldn't say that you're at a six. Do you like? Do you kind of like them? What I've heard of them, yeah, but I just don't know enough. You know, I just, I can't, you can't judge an artist based off of one song, I don't think. I don't think that's really fair. Everybody, everybody has their big hit, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, Ethan, what do you think? I'd probably say I'm a seven. Not, I'm not very well versed, so for everyone out there five is neutral six is i kind of like it seven is there are some of their songs that i love and i love owner of a lonely heart i love that song um that whole record is awesome that whole record is awesome and so even though i don't feel like i've done the the plunge you know i haven't done i haven't started digging into the catalog um i don't know if i could name you off the, at least off the top of my head, this might be the same as Stevie Wonder last time, where I realized that I actually know a lot more yes than I originally thought that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, changes that whole that whole. Um, I don't know what the album is called. Nine hundred one two five. Yeah, that whole album. I feel like I have heard a lot of stuff off of that i remember going through a phase where i I listened through that record specifically so i probably know more songs off of it but i guess i I won't know till we get in the set well we're not going to be talking about any of those songs Ooh, because that's a different era that's 80s yes we're going to be talking about 70s yes so why the distinction because that's the different wave of prog oh it's 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 night and day different it's the it's the difference between peter gabriel genesis and phil collins genesis once again you are speaking a different language (laughs) it's the difference between um uh grace under pressure rush and caressive steel rush that i understand very much so it's like they follow that same trajectory yeah of kind of going more synth pop but remaining in that prog zone yeah distinctly prog zone 90125 is a surprisingly proggy sounding record but it is a pop record first hmm but I think it's one of the best albums of the 80s so they also did the whole you know Metropolis part one you know 2112 20 minute long song thing oh yeah Oh really? Mm-hmm. Okay. But be before we dive too deep, so you, uh, so Ethan, did you have anything else you wanted to? Put no, in your I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a seven. Okay. Um, I'll talk about my first thoughts because I have a long history with Yes. Oh. So I actually discovered Yes through my dad because Nine Hundred One Two Five is probably his favorite album of all time. Wow. And so obviously, like that was the first. Uh, listening that I had ever gotten from them. And I would say it was, it stayed that way for about probably cause they were on that initial iPod that I got whenever I was in mm-hmm. grade that my dad gave me that introduced me to good music. And that was one of the first things that I ever went to is my dad was just like, you gotta go listen to nine Oh one, two, five. And so I did. And I was just like, wow, this whole record is awesome. And it still is awesome. It's not something that yeah. I, it oh, well. when you're, it's yes. 
and I actually love it more now that I know a lot of where Yes came from. It makes a lot of things on the album make more more sense. But I would say that I was about a senior in high school when I seventies Yes. Like randomly, there was a there was a a girl in my grade that I like was not really friends with, didn't talk too much. Um, but like I think we were in class together. And she was just like, hey, I, I know you're into, like, prog music, right? Because you like Rush and Dream Thing. I was just like, yeah. She's like, well, uh, why don't you borrow this CD? It's it's Yes. And I was like, oh, I know Yes. And just, but I was like, I've never heard of this record. And it was the Yes album, their third album. And so I put it on. And that record, like, opened my eyes. I was just like, oh, my gosh. This is a whole <laughs> new world. And so from there, then I got into Fragile and Close to the Edge and and discovered all of the classic era Yes prog records. And that was like me graduating to a deeper level of prog. Because like, <laughs> like Rush is like, you know, it's it's about as simple as prog gets because yeah. the whole thing is filtered through just pure rock and roll. Hmm. Um, I would say Dream Theater almost kind of fits in the same way as as complex as Dream Theater's music gets. You can rarely say that it's ever experimental and weird. There's there's definitely Dream Theater has a formula that they kind of stick to. Um, yes was the first prog group where I listened to where I was just like, they're truly doing some bizarre stuff where it's not it's not something that would um, be like in an arena rock group yeah. to where it's just like, wow, they're, I'm hearing things that I didn't even know that you could do. <laughs> it was just like, that was like, I felt my brain grow bigger <laughs> when I was listening <laughs> and discovering the seventies. Yes. Records. Are we going to be pulling from that uh, third record? Oh yes. Oh good. We'll have a couple songs from there. So, um, so yeah, yes is like they're one of those bands that could that could be a pillar. They're about as close to a ten as you can be. Wow. Because they have they were like they were the prog group of my college years. That was kind of when I was in college, that was like the prog group that I really spent the most time digging into and discovering and just kind of like realize it's like you and it makes you go back to rush and you're just like they really weren't that experimental i mean it was still great obviously but you it's not the proggiest stuff it it's makes them look you, like the gateway drug yes exactly it's like yes you start to get into mm. the hard stuff <laughs> um, yet at the same time there's always this welcomeness to yes we're not going to get too weird with the yes songs because again we're gonna we're bringing you in we want to not just completely throw you into the deep end like we're not going to look at any of the the sidelong epics yet okay but yeah. i would say on average our songs i would say the average run time of a song in this set is going to be about eight to nine minutes Ooh. i think the shortest song is like seven minutes long on the set Oh man, I like this band already. Yes, they're making their way to a six, guys. Uh huh. So what we're going to be looking at is there's a there's a classic period for yes, 
And that is a three album run. I would say probably the greatest run in prog history. I would say not even Rush has as great of a three album stretch as Yes does with the Yes album Fragile and Close to the Edge. What years? Um, two of them came out in 71 and then 72 for Close to the Edge. Wow. That's insane. Yes. They made three really good albums in two years. And I would I would say that Close to the Edge is probably the greatest prog album of all time. May The only other one, and again, it's kind of like some people might not say it's prog. The only other record that I think can compare to it is Dark Side of the Moon. I don't know if I'd consider that prog, but I wouldn't. It's, some people do, some people don't. I don't completely... But I wouldn't go on a crusade either way. On as far as pure prog, though, close to the edge is there's only three songs on the album. What one of them fills up an entire side of the vinyl, it's 18 minutes long. Nice, and then the other side has two 10 minute songs. Oh man, and all three of the songs are perfect. Yes. Oh, we're off to some great first impressions. It's the so far when I did my ring playlist, it's the only time that an entire album has been in the top ten of an artist. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be really weird circumstances for that to even be possible, but <laughs> but well, it's mean, possible because yeah, think about it has it. happened now officially. <laughs> most most albums are going to take up you know at least seven or eight. Uh huh. So <laughs> That's pretty funny. You'd have to have like one song on the album for it to be another artist to do that. Yeah. So how did these people get started? So um, there was two principal founding members to Yes. It's vocalist John Anderson and bassist Chris Squire. Okay. Um, Chris Squire unfortunately passed away in 2016. But he, but when at the time that he had died, he was the only member to appear on every single record. He was the the center of the band. Hmm. Him, he was he was kind of like the he was the 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 foundation, and John was the architect. Did uh, did they end up replacing him? And yes, because because Chris Squire asked because he died of cancer. Mm-hmm. And he had, before he had died, he told them, "Don't let yes stop because I'm dead. Keep going. Find a replacement. Oh, I, don't, nice. I don't want the band to die with me." But the really, really like sad, the really sad thing, because Chris Squire is one of my. You you were talking about how prog rock is ha- the, has is the great guitar things. brand is the guitar brand of Squire named after him. No, but he was the one that uh, the first one to popularize the Rick and Bacher bass. Ooh. Which okay. is what Getty Lee also played. He said the only reason he picked a Rickenbacker is because Chris Squire played it. <laughs> um, yeah, the sad thing was that the year after he died was when Yes got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, so for the one stalwart member to not get to be there for that honor, it was was it was pretty sad. You said the one. Uh huh. So, so John guess- Anderson is has left the band numerous times, come back numerous times, and he oh, is not with them currently. So But he was it... there for all of their greatest moments. Okay, so he's kind of the 
He's the yeah. secret sauce. He is, yes, because he not only was the singer, he was the main lyricist, and he was the main arranger of the band. Ooh, that is he important. Was, you could say that he was the conductor. He knew where everything needed to go, even though he wasn't an incredibly skilled musician. He had this instinct to know what people needed. He'd be like, he would hum something, go, can you play something like, oh, da, 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 and then they would figure out and go, okay, this is what it is. Or he'd be working with uh, guitarist Steve Howe, and he'd he'd be singing a lyric line. And he'd go, "What chords would go with this?" And he would figure out what it is. So why would he? Why was he so on and off? Because he, um, it's it was from mostly creative differences because of the fact that he was the 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 leader artistically of the band. It meant that when the when others didn't agree with what he was doing, it made for some contentious moments, but it never got to crazy drama level. He would just kind of go, Oh, I think I'm going to go do something else and would leave, you know, in good terms, but he would leave because he wasn't happy with uh, the direction the band was going. He'd leave because he wanted to leave on good terms. Yes. He, John was always a very, peaceful man very spiritual very and that impacts a lot of the his lyrics even the way he sings it's a very he has a very high soft voice it's not a voice you would assume i mean like you've heard owner of a lonely heart he's got that he's got that very smooth soft high voice almost it's almost mythical sounding yep um and so he was never one that would that would start drama he wasn't you know, an egomaniac or he would just, if he felt like it wasn't going the way that he wanted to go, he would just be like, I think I'm just going to remove myself from it. Best of luck to you guys, but I need to follow what's going to excite me creatively. So these two, these two guys get together and do they just find a band and then just make a record? Yeah. So pretty much they, they put out ads and we're just like, Hey, we need people to play. Uh, drummer Bill Bruford came in at the beginning and he played on all of the classic records, although he left after Close to the Edge because he got a offer too good to refuse to play for King Crimson. Oh, uh, yeah. And so he was just like, and he was just like, I, I can't pass up this opportunity. If, if you're a prog group or a prog drummer and King Crimson asks you to play, that's kind of... Yeah, crazy. King Crimson is like even like, even deeper prog than even yes was mm-hmm. like king king crimson who's who yes was always inspired to be better musicians by like they would go see crimson and they'd be like oh crap we gotta practice more <laughs> <laughs> um tony k also was part of the first three records he appears on the yes album which is the third one and then he gets replaced uh before fragile with my favorite uh, keyboardist of all time, Rick Wakeman. Rick Wakeman is the beast. I would say <laughs> even more so than Rudess or um, John Lord of Deep Purple, Keith Emerson. Like Rick Wakeman is the most insane keyboard player I've ever seen in my life and and heard. Um, and then for the first two records, they had guitarist. Um, Peter Banks, mm-hmm. and then 
on the third record, the Yes record, that's when Steve Howe came in. Steve Howe really was the missing ingredient because he is one of the most underrated guitar players of all time. He's mm-hmm. he's a monster guitar player, but at the same time, he has a brilliant musical mind. He was always known. John always called him the chord man because he literally knew every chord that could be played. <laughs> and he always he brought this level of sophistication to the musicality of what they were doing because he had a lot of you know formal training. He knew how to play classical guitar. He was a great acoustic player. He was a you know he knew all of his jazz and just was able to bring literally whatever they needed. <laughs> He could play anything. Wow. And so when he joined for the, that's why that third record, the yes album is like the, the bit, the true beginning of greatness for them because Steve Howe just brought that, that extra level of brilliance. And, uh, and then once Rick Wakeman joined on the following album on fragile, that's kind of like when everything just exploded. One of the fragile and close to the edge are two of the most astounding musical statements I've ever heard in my life. Mm. Um, then Bill Bruford left after Close to the Edge. Alan White joined on drums, and and he actually is now the longest serving member on Yes because he hasn't left the band since 1974. Well, dang. So he's he's been around for a very long time now. So he's the one that also plays on 90125. Um, but at that point, that's when Yes kind of started to um, become a little too ambitious. The, the album that came after Close to the Edge was a double album with only one song on each side of the vinyl. So it consisted of four 20-minute songs. Mm. One of them is really, really good. And the other three, you could tell that they're stretched in order to fill the time that it wasn't that that they would have been better as, say, 11 or 12 minute songs. And there's about six to seven minutes of unnecessary padding. (laughs) But still, they they have amazing moments in them, but it's kind of like you you can see that I was just like they're they got stuck in a how do I how do we outdo the previous album that we did well let's just get bigger and more grand and more complex and bigger songs bigger albums and they kind of crumbled a little bit under their own weight and so that's why kind of that that three album period is like the the perfect period for classic yes and so we're going to stay in those three records we're not going to venture outside of them on this episode so did these guys have did they just how did they get their record deal um they were they came around at the right time so 69 was was kind of the best time to be a band of that caliber to where um fm had just come around so you didn't have to you know play the game as much you could be a big band without having tons of hit singles and um they just they got popular through word of mouth there they they developed very early on a, a strong underground following and um we're just we're constantly able to play by their own rules like 
for the majority of the 70s, they didn't have producers come in. They produced themselves. They just had an engineer mm-hmm. that, you know, they considered a member of the band because he was able to, you know, he, he was he thought on the same musical plane as them. But they didn't have industry people coming in saying, well, oh, an eight-minute song? Oh, cut that down. It must be three minutes long. Get this weird guitar. Like, they didn't have that going on. They produced themselves. Mm-hmm. Really, John was the producer. Mm. So they they really were able to be this self-sustaining unit because, you know, they they sold well, like, when roundabout came out that wasn't that was a top 10 us hit on the pop charts really yeah i think it got up to like number eight that's pretty Uh, good so like they it wasn't just one of those things where they were like oh no one heard of them they're just this weird underground like they they kind of got some mainstream attention they're really the only prog group of that era to do that um, not un- until until Rush came along, but really Rush doesn't belong in the first wave of Prague. First wave of Prague is really like sixty nine to seventy four, and Rush really kind of hit big in seventy six with twenty one twelve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, so you could say Rush is really the beginning of the second wave of Prague because it's also stylistically Rush is very different from the early seventies Prague groups. When is the third wave? Third wave, I would say, is when the prog metal uh, came around in the late 80s. So your Dream Theater, your Queensryche, um, your um, your Paradise, or not, not Paradise, uh, Symphony X. I was thinking of the album Paradise Lost. Um, when, when kind of uh, the prog metal scene, that's really where prog has has lived on is in the metal world there's not as many prog rock groups anymore yeah well it kind of just lends itself to that with the technicality required Uh uh-huh but even still like you could say really we're in the fourth wave of prog which is very different it's more of your mashugas and your and your genty bands and you know it definitely living more in the harsher world even from you know your, your dream theaters and queens rikes and those kinds of groups i thought it would i thought it was living on in the uh devon townsend's of the yeah world. which that's that's what i would see because devon okay. townsend is much harder edged than than the third wave groups oh sure. he's got some he's got a very death metal aesthetic about him because that's where for he sure. comes from for sure but he's not um he's not ex- and that's and that's exactly kind of right now prog metal the whole the rule is that there are no rules it's true it's it's almost it's almost cycled That's back the to rule. the it's cycled back to the the philosophy of the first wave in the first wave there were no rules either when you listen to some of the songs that we're going to start talking about you're going to hear some some bonkers arrangements <laughs> I'm it's not again we're you you get used to the rush and dream theater style where it's you have your verse chorus verse chorus then you have your you know three minute instrumental section and then come back to the chorus yes you're not going to really see that here no way it's going to be it's going to be much more abstract songwriting style but it works 
Oh yeah, I think it's yes. Honestly, it's I think it's better. Oh, I love it when fans <laughs> do weird stuff that like pays so off. I'm oh, yeah. so excited, dude. And, so then and what are we? What what is the? what is the yes sound like what are we going to be listening for like what what's kind of their signature well you're going to hear an incredibly level high level of musicianship you've got some of the greatest people that have ever picked up their instrument um all five of them honestly are all-time greats so you're going to hear this incredible um it's it's what you would say like where Dream Theater pulled a lot of the the interplaying of different instruments because yep. Russian didn't really have that just because it was three guys mm-hmm. you couldn't have that that large breadth of you know here's the guitar and the bass are are playing together but then it switches to the 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 guitar and the keyboards and then the drums and the bass are doing their own special thing and um the vocals are are getting in and doing some weird stuff with uh with what's going on so you have this weird arrangement in a good way you have these what you would consider to be simple ideas but then they're they're they morph into these really bizarre original forms um, you're going to hear songs that it's just like there's not even when there's not technical playing, there's just this amazing originality to the way that they're approaching the song. Hmm. Um, you're gonna we'll, we'll talk about John Anderson's style of lyrics. You're you're not going to really get very far asking me what the songs are about hmm. because. That's not the way that he writes. He writes more in putting together words that sound good together, even if they don't make a lot of sense. That's fair. Really? Oh, he, he writes a lot more stream of consciousness. And usually there's like a general idea underneath it, but he says that when he writes them, he doesn't quite know what he's what it's about. He'll he'll usually have like something that gives him the initial inspiration but then afterwards he just writes and he says sometimes 40 50 years later i'm starting to really find out maybe what it means He's that, goes, that goes along with his like the spiritual vibe yes he, and that's like, the other thing this is what i feel like it should be and i'll yep. figure it out later and he He's loves that the uh, the lyrics from beyond uh-huh he'll like people will ask him well i i feel like it's about this and he goes sure if you believe it then that's what it is <laughs> that's his attitude towards it so I'll, i can give you like what the the spark of inspiration was but it's i, I can't detail yeah. to you you know oh this is this this is that i can also give you perhaps my interpretation of it but i wouldn't count that as being correct yeah um, but because of that, he because he's not. It's almost like he's not withholden to having to have his words make sense. And so, because of that, he does an incredible job of finding the right words to match the right mood and the right word and the right notes yeah. that he's hitting. It's like more more poetic. Because yes, he's, he's it's incredibly beautiful. It's some of the most beautiful lyrics you'll ever hear. But when you like actually analyze, you're just like, wait a minute, what the heck does this mean? Um, 
And he also loves to toy with the order of phrases. Like there'll be songs where he'll introduce phrases and then he'll come back to it, but he'll say those sentences or phrases in a different order. Mm. And and he'll mess around with them and like mix and match them together to create these these almost like these word paintings. Ooh. All right. You're talking a big game, Lucas. I know. Big game. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. If this doesn't live up to all the hype, I mm, I don't know. I'm I'm ready to dive into it. Unless there's anything else we need. So ready. All right. So we'll take a a small break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the six songs that we have picked for this episode. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. This episode of the Good Music Podcast is brought to you by Southern Safe Rooms. When severe weather threatens, you want the maximum protection for you and those you love. If an intruder forces their way into your home, you need a secure space for you and your family to take shelter in order to stay safe. If you want a secure place to store your guns, guitars, or other valuables like drums, A custom shelter is the solution you need. Southern Safe Rooms builds custom certified safe rooms that can be installed in your home, garage, workshop, or anywhere you have a concrete reinforced slab. Southern Safe Rooms builds all of our safe rooms in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and can install them on any reinforced concrete slab. The Southern Safe Rooms custom storm shelters can withstand wind speeds of up to 250 miles per hour. Southern Safe Rooms have been tested by Texas Tech University and are built to exceed FEMA standards to withstand an EF5 tornado. The Southern Certified Safe Room is constructed with the highest quality materials, far exceeding conventional storm shelter construction. With over 110 years, count them, of steel manufacturing experience, Southern Safe Rooms knows how to build a secure shelter for your home. Call 918 918- Five eight four three three seven one, or visit our website southernsaferooms.com Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We've been talking about Yes, the prog group from the late 60s that made their big hits in the early 70s, which we are talking about in this episode. And now it is time to get into our six songs segment. So, for those of you who are new, Welcome to the podcast. We're glad you're here. And Lucas, can you explain to them what the purpose of this segment is? So the purpose of us talking about these songs is to um, give you guys a firm introduction into the group. We can talk about the, the band all we want, but it's really when you hear the songs and you get into the songs and learn what they're about um, that you really start to appreciate and become interested in the band. So... The way that I pick these songs is that if you've never listened to Yes before, this is going to be your best first step into the into the group. So it's not just me picking my six favorites or what I think are the six best Yes songs, but what I think are the best songs for you to hear to be intrigued and curious to learn more about the band. The way that you can listen to these songs is there's a link in the description of the episode that will take you to a Spotify playlist that's got not only the songs on this episode, all the songs from our previous episodes as well. So um, Grant and Ethan have never heard these songs before, so they're actually going to be giving 
live reactions to the songs as we talk about them. They're going to give a countdown, so if you want to hit play along with them, you are more than welcome to. We can kind of give you a bit of a commentary track. So we're going to start with really the no-brainer starting point. We're going to we're going to start with the song that really made Yes famous and that's Roundabout. All right. Yeah. It's the opening tr- their their seminal record Fragile, which was their first one with Rick Wakeman. And if you guys are ready, we'll go ahead and get going. Count us off. In three, two, one. All right. So you said this was like the second of the classic period, or the yeah. Third? So this is this is in the middle. So this is, so it's the second one to have Steve Howe on guitar, and it's the first one to have Rick Wakeman. Now this intro. So what's happening in that fade in is that it's a piano that's being yeah, played backwards. The so reverse piano. Um, this intro has become actually quite popular this last decade. It's become a meme. Yes. Um, I think it was it was like the ending song to like yep, some the TV show to be continued. Uh huh. And of course, it's 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 kind of lived on. I've shown this song to uh, several people, and they're like, "Oh, this is the to be continued song." Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yep. And so, there it is, right there. Uh huh. And, and that bass line is active, dude. That's one of the it's one of the greatest bass riffs of all time, regardless of genre. That. So one of the things that makes Chris Squire such a unique player is that he plays with a pick. That was awesome, though. And so he it gives him this very aggressive sound. And, and then pair that with the fact that he's playing a Rickenbacker, which naturally has a lot of attack to it. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then also the fact that Chris Squire is a founding and driving member of the group, so he's going to make sure that his bass is heard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's not like one of those basses that's kind of boomy. Like they're not uh-huh. trying to they're not trying to freight train you with the sound. No. It's not it's, that era, but like at the same time it's like you can afford to have a really active bass line when you do something like that. Mm-hmm. It's very funky. And the vocals here are kind of yeah, reminiscent of sticks. Yeah. You can definitely tell that sticks pulled a lot. I would say sticks formed not that long after yes did. Um, but John John Anderson inspired an entire wave of he he's yeah. kind of he's the one that set the the um, the stereotype if you will of the high pitched prog singer. Dude, I just I can't. Every single moment is filled with a new, uh, like, Ooh. oh, what's virtuosic that little moment part. Yeah, that little synth part right there. Yeah, and like that. I guess it was a chorus that we just heard that was like half acapella. There was like a synth part above that. Now there's like a weird time signature thing that just happened. Mm-hmm. I see what you're talking about with the arrangements too, because there's just a bunch of random stuff. I mean, it's not random, but well, so, it is on paper it's random, but it feels it feels like there's some continuity. Yes, yeah. there's always a, there's always a reason to it. One thing, and I forgot to mention this in the first section. One of the hallmarks, and what I think makes Yes so brilliant, is that they no part of the song is in vain. You're going to hear random stuff happen, but it will never happen once. Yeah. 
every single thing will be used another time. And you're going to be astonished that as you get farther into the song, you're going to start hearing stuff going, whoa, they did that earlier. They foreshadowed this. This Even this small little thing that seemed insignificant was just setting you up for the the a future moment. We're in a cool new section now. Yeah, the... the, the down, 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 down. I've never heard this quote-unquote cool new section. Yeah, most most times if you hear an edited version on uh, the radio, it skips this whole middle part and just goes to the last part. Is that like, what, a three-part harmony happening right now? Yes, so John, Chris Squire, and Steve Howe all would sing together. And wow. uh, the, all three of them were quite good singers. And yeah. Particularly, Chris Chris Squire has a very recognizable BGV vocal. You can always kind of pick his out. It's, it's very so weird. It's so weird that this is 1971, uh-huh. and we're way before Auto Tune, and they're doing a three part harmony and it's tight. Mm-hmm. And yeah, for the most cool. part, for the most part, they recorded live in the room. Oh. While they're playing, yes. Oh man! From I'm all of the more more. from all of the behind the studio <laughs> stuff that I've seen, it's not you know him in a booth by himself. Who knows? Maybe he does some touch ups, but like when they're laying down the initial, with them in the room. Well, I guess oh, we're back. Oh yeah! Oh, there's the dramatic pause. I guess or whatever. That that little. Keyboard line in the back is awesome. So, like, and this is the incredible thing. Like, uh, most bands to create that sound, they would have like a little synthesizer that would loop a sound. He's physically playing that, and it's just like, holy crap! My goodness, man! So 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 it's like even even something like that with the intro that it's like it seems like it's so consequential, inconsequential. But then it, it makes this great return. Yeah. Was he was he getting a roadie to like give him arthritic meds during this synth cart? Because this is oh, forever. No. This is this is nothing for Rick Wakeman. I'm ooh, that poor ooh. keyboard. Oh, that, that poor that uh, blessed keyboard. And then here we are, kind of back into a reprise, I guess, because we just had an intro reprise. Get ready for this organ solo. Incredible organ solo. Okay. You're gonna you're gonna witness the the the, the majesty of Rick Wakeman. Huh. Oh, unison guitar lines. So now Steve Howe's gonna come in with a brief solo. So they're what they're gonna do is they're gonna do a back and forth between keyboards and guitar. They're gonna have like a little battle between each other. Oh, okay. So this song was on uh, Rock Band Three. It was that was when I heard it the yeah. first time, and this was uh, that that was the game that had the keyboard periphery with it. And this was uh, no shocker the the hardest song in the game on keyboard. <laughs> yeah! Wow. Dang. Is that? guitar solo that he did like that slide yes that was actually it was backwards so it's it's played so he 
played it and then reversed it to have it match up to give it that sound. Ah. Because it sounded really weird. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a backwards solo. That's so cool. That's pretty dope. And then, yeah, just that majestic return back to the... Yep. And that's where we're at. We got about a minute left on this one. But isn't it amazing how, like, this is an eight-minute song and it flies by. Yeah. Because, again, it it never overstays in any particular moment. No, it doesn't. Not at all. And at the same time, you've gone through all these changes that they all seem very logical. Guys, it's like Baroque music, but, like, intense. (laughs) 30 seconds. Yeah. So have you gotten to the uh, the that great acapella yeah. Sound at the end? Yeah, with the hi hat going. Uh huh. Are it's... they just gonna acapella it out? Oh, there's they'll they'll throw in a, a little thing okay. right at the end. Again, we're preasing back to something else to show that nothing, absolutely nothing, goes wrong. Oh. Oh. Love it. Ah. Oh. That's so nice. Starship Trooper. All right. So Starship Trooper is off of the third album, the Yes album. So this has Tony Kay instead of Rick Wakeman on the keys. Okay. So you're not going to hear all that that craziness on the keyboard, but you're still going to have plenty of pretty awesome musical moments to sit through. What is that on the bass, that effect of the bass? It's like a um, tremolo effect. Yeah. I'm not the best at, at identifying sounds. So if you if it sounds like a tremolo to you, then it probably is. Yeah. I okay. love I've learned to play this song on bass and it's it's one of the most fun songs to play. It's so melodic. Oh yeah. Melodic bass players are are a gift to humanity, really. Yes. Oh. And Chris Squire is is one of the best at it. Um, so this song, the the inspiration lyrically is the whole idea of guardian angels and having a higher power looking over you. Um, I guess th- put through some form of like an alien intelligence, because again, John Anderson is spiritual, but he's not specifically spiritual. He's kind of one of those things like he yeah. kind of pulls from everything, like New Age. Yeah. And so it's just like, could aliens be our gods? Maybe I don't know. Um, mm. is, is it is it God? Is it Jesus? Is it Buddha? I don't, he doesn't know. Hmm. He just knows that there is a spiritual world, and that he's willing to to kind of seek the truth in whatever form it takes. Um, but this this song has three sections to it. As you can okay. see in the name of the title, yeah. you have the A, the B, and the C. So um, you start off with uh, Life Seeker, which is going to be about probably the first three to four minutes of the song. Then you'll have uh, Disillusion, which is the, uh, I would say, like the next like two minutes or so. And then you have worm which is going to be about a three and a half minute instrumental jam section mm, that nice. was cool that we just heard ba, ba, da, ba, da, ba, da. 
have uh have you gotten to the uh i guess you could say like the bridge section i don't know so. it all sounds like a bridge <laughs> so do you see what i mean though it's like it's not a normal song structure yeah. yeah it's just the music is what it is it's it's much more reminiscent of classical music uh, it is what it is uh, but it doesn't mean it's it's confusing it's not it's not verse chorus structured it's their music is theme structured yeah it's it's theme return of theme um i would say i've never heard a band use recapitulation better than yes does to where they they bring back these melodies and whoa and... doing something different now it's doing something different it brought back yeah, something that hasn't existed yet so so describe to me what's going on uh, oh, it's like oh so the acoustic guitar section so this is the like disillusionment off to roy harper but bearable so now you get to hear how incredible of a guitarist steve howe is yeah i really like this it's kind of folksy Yes, and that is a lot of Yes's roots. You listen to our first record; it's much more folksy than it is proggy, um, and that's John Anderson brings a lot of that aspect to it. That's just his vocal style. That's where he pulls from a lot. Yeah. Um, this this whole vocal section is actually uh, pulled from an unused song from their second record. There's a I found a demo of it whenever I was doing the ranked playlist and I was listening to it and they go into the this vocal part but it didn't have this guitar part over it and I was like oh my gosh that's the second part of Starship Trooper. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're out of that part now. Yeah, that's, into the those, legato. Those stacked harmonies vocal. are crazy over those chords. Yes. Drums are back. So yeah, now we've got the return to the that bridge section, the speak to me of summer. This is this is a drum beat from a Rush song. What is it? Oh, I'm snapping, but you can't hear the subdivisions. I feel bad. I, whatever. I'm not quite sure. But I was just like, this is a. This is definitely something from. From like a like a Rush '80s era song, which I mean, yeah. there's no surprise. But yeah, you can definitely start to hear, like, because yes, they Rush said that yes is the main band that inspired them to start going the more progressive route after they did the pretty straightforward yeah. self-titled record. Yeah, and I'm sure now you're starting to hear where Rush was getting a lot of their ideas. Ooh. Yeah, that one came back. Well, we're all the way to the uh, right channel, I think. Yeah. So did you get to the part where it's that weird guitar chord yep. sequence? Okay, so now we're in Worm. So the way that, regardless of what the the lyrical meaning is, there's definitely a a forward momentum. You could almost because the way Worm is spelled, it's W U with a umlaut on it, R M. So it's almost like they're implying a wormhole. And this this whole section. It's, it's actually quite unusual for a Yes song to have this, to where you have this repeating repetition that kind of grows in tension. One thing you'll rarely ever say about Yes's music is that it's ever dark or um, disturbing sounding. Yeah. This is mm -hmm. probably uh, the darkest 
section of music that they've ever written. And it's still okay. not that. And it's still not. Yeah. It's just because that's just that's never the band that they were. Right. They always prided themselves in being very m- melodically bright and rich, even if it gets weird. It never got ominous. And there is this sense of dread that grows, especially as the rest of the band comes in and it starts getting yeah. louder and louder. And just that that whole chord sequence is very is very strange sounding. It's kind of Nirvana ish. Uh huh. And you can almost feel like it's like a ship that's being pulled into a black hole. Dude, you can almost feel a little bit of Cygnus X1. That's exactly what I was about to say. Oh my gosh, the parallels. Uh huh. Is it just that? Does this just grow till the end? Well, so it's going to explode into a guitar solo. Um, Oh, yes. I'm ready. And I'm going to see. I'm going to see if you guys can pick up what's very unique and unusual about the guitar solo once it starts. Because okay. this is this solo is often credited as Steve Howe's greatest solo with Yes. Wow. I guess and we got a minute and a half left to do it. Yeah. So, um once it starts, let's see if you can if you can pick out what's happening cuz I don't understand the theory of it, so I don't notice it, but I'm curious to see if you guys do. All right, I think we're there. I'm not hearing it yet. Unless it's still just a big it sounds deal. like we're ascending, not being pulled in. Yeah, well, to, it, it, what it does is it sounds like it, like the the noise is getting louder, and it's the 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 tension is ramping up. Oh, he's just changing keys. Yes. But he's he's changing the key, I believe, in congruence with whatever chord is playing. Yeah. Yep, that's a that's a con during guitar solos, but not in the middle of a progression. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like soloing in seven eight. Like it's pretty easy to play. A riff in seven eight. If you understand seven eight, it's not easy to play. Uh, we have like and like this. Ooh, like theoretically, it makes pretty decent sense, but the execution of it. And on top of that, having to play over some really weird chords. It's not like normal yeah. chords where it could be a little bit easier. Yeah. Here we go. In about five he seconds. Probably stole that. That's the guy that was like the classically trained guitarist. Yes. Nick New J- yeah. Then that's very, 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 very common in jazz. That mm-hmm. that if you were gonna learn like the theory of soloing, you would eventually get to the point where it, the game becomes playing the scale that the chord is on, even if they're passing really quick. Uh huh. So he's probably just taking that element from jazz and then bringing it over instead of just playing the pentatonic scale. Yeah. All right, we're into South Side. Yeah, we're in South Sky. Which South is a cool name of a song. Yeah. So um, this is back to the Fragile record. Um, yep. This song has one of the most brilliant midsection breaks in any Yes song. Again, the fact that it doesn't just go to the to an instrumental. The, the turn that this song takes is just, it's so fascinating to just think of how did they even come up with this? 
but it's so brilliant because um, it starts off a pretty standard, almost straightforward rock sounding song. It's it's yeah. it's got a heaviness to it, and uh, this this is actually a song that there is a bit more of a a, a meaning to the lyrics. Mm-hmm. It's about a uh, a group of Arctic expo- exploration that uh, gets caught in a blizzard in the Antarctic and eventually freezes to death. Mm. That's awesome. Okay. And so, but of course, he's not wording it in you know storytelling way. It's very abstract in the way he's painting everything. Yeah, like saying instead of saying you know where someone would say uh, the bottom of the world, he's saying the south side of the sky. What's the south side of the sky? That's the Antarctic. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, and then and, and just the words he's using, it's it's still that word painting, but you can see a little bit more of the story. A little breakdown. Yeah, we just went to this nice, wonderful grand piano. Whoa. Yeah. So, Rick Wakeman, so Rick Wakeman is about to do some some crazy stuff here. And the the section that it's going to go to is just it's it's beautiful. Okay, when? Ooh, ooh, Aladdin Sane vibes. <laughs> Am I what? wrong though? Like, well, before he was with Yes, he played for Bowie, although he didn't play on that song. Ooh, it's like a Takata. Yes. Uh... <laughs> yes, we're gonna do that all night. Oh my goodness, we we were doing pretty good so far. I know. Rick Wakeman is also very classically trained. Like this is a guy that can yeah. play all of the all of the classics. All of the he's classics. adding that blues done in there. It's so strange. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what he's doing quarterly. I have no idea. That's that's something to get used to when listening to yes. This to just go what's what what is happening? Ooh, the vocals come in. Oof. Oh yeah. It's all of a sudden a groove. Yeah. So this whole section there's not gonna be any words. It's all gonna be just vocal uh laws and ooze. Sometimes and, that's all you need. And just vocally the the ra- the vocal arrangement in this section is just insane like because not not just musically but you know that they had to do so many takes yeah because there's a it's not just one group of vocals like it's multiple groups of vocals weaving in and out of each other wow and again it's just like no you don't hear prog groups go into sections like this Again, yeah. <laughs> it's most of the time it's going to be like, a, oh, let's do a let's do a cool little riff and an odd time signature, and then let's go to a guitar solo, and then let's go to the the piano solo, and then like, I love stuff like this to where it's just like it's not a run of the mill instrumental section; it's a truly different passage that is so starkly different what comes before. Yet at the same time, it feels natural. Yeah. yeah. Those chords are outlining a diminished chord. Oh. That's what I just figured out. He's going one. Uh, oh, because they didn't do it that time. But one. Oh, yeah. Now they're doing the. Yeah, they're uh, doing. They're kind of into a regular progression now. Yeah. 
they're doing the minor six or the major minor six, yeah. the major minor seven, and then the key. Now they did something interesting, and I don't even know what chord they're on now. That is kind of a little bluesy line now. It's like it's the same line, but it isn't. Yeah, but yeah, he's he's since he's not playing it as like the third of anything, it just sounds like a bluesy line just by itself. Yeah, man. How do you? All right. I think we're out of that section. That's kind of brain bending. Yeah, now we're going into Tron. Oh. <laughs> yeah, with those with that phaser coming in. Ooh, that guitar oh. line. Yeah. Yeah. So, so now we're back into the into the main spine of the song. But so is that yes's formula? Not no. A B A. Like a big A section, weird B section, back to the A section? No, because the next three songs are not going to do that. All right. You could really say that, in a way, that that's Prague in general's main. Because, again, it's like they're – even like your songs that have instrumental sections, it's still an ABA. It's just they're – Yes has a very different type of B. Yeah. That makes sense. But the next three, like uh, Starship Trooper, didn't really have a B because the the they didn't go back to A. They it only, maybe it went A B A C, and then like our next three songs are are gonna just completely break that mold. It's so weird. It's like his voice is like that breathy high voice but at the same time it's not like falsetto no like it's, a, like, it's, it's still very voice. strong we got a minute left man it let me tell you what these songs are a pain to try and sing along to because of the fact that it's full voice yet it's so high a guitar solo here at the end yeah it's a great guitar solo too something about 70s guitar playing it's just like the amps were simpler the sounds were all the same so, like, the real good guitarists were the ones you ended up hearing. Yeah. Instead of now, it's like you end up listening to the good tone smiths, which is like, there's something you said that, that too. I mean, you are listening. Well, we faded out, like, 20 seconds before the end. Oh, oh, is it just wind noise? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know if it was going to die. On, on Fragile, that's the end of the first side of the album. So it's gonna uh, leave you in this. It's gonna leave you in this atmospheric place. And it's gonna set up our next song quite well. Ah, the Lucas formula. Yes, of course. All right, so here we are, straight in. I've heard this. This is one of their most, even maybe more so than Roundabout. This is probably their most famous '70s song. So this is another uh, suite. Yes, but it's only got two parts. So I can't read it because Spotify cuts it off. So the first section is called Your Move, and Your Move is pretty much just a, almost an acoustic ballad. There's okay. no there's no weird time signatures. This is this is very roots, yes. But man, is it it's so well written. The melodies are so amazing. The the harmonies it's just it's it's brilliant in its simplicity and then once we get to the i've seen all good people part um it turns into this this really cool blues jam but then again the 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 way that only yes could play it yeah 
and we'll feature they, another great. Are they like doing boom boom? Uh, yeah, they're going. Weird, so weird. But I mean, yeah, the is our shortest song of the set so far. Yep. So this is gonna be this is gonna be our shortest song. No, wow. Because we've got we've got two we've got two epic songs to close out the set. But like these. This is the type of song that makes me love Prague in general because this is it's it's so simple, yet at the same time it's so original. The way that this song is put together is just like this is I want more Prague bands to do stuff like this. Instead of getting too far up their own butts with trying to be really complex. It's just like, why don't you just take a simple idea and just do it in a way that no one else is doing it? It's too hard. I know. It's, There's... it's just so... I th- I see what you mean. It's like, this song is so simple, and yet they're adding so many great embellishments to it. Uh-huh. Like, um, way ahead of their time. Yeah. Man. I mean, th- think about the other music that was out around this time. I mean, this this was the high. This is the same time as uh, stuff like "Stairway to Heaven," and well, but think about the production value that we have going on here. Yeah, the production value is quite high. Here. That organ is huge. Yeah, Tony K is an underrated member of the group. Rick Wakeman, for obvious reasons, gets most yeah. of the glory as, yes, his keyboard player, but you can't discount Tony Kay. He was truly great. It's just, it's hard to to be the guy that comes before Rick Wakeman. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and they just go right back into it. This chord progression is so good. This is one, two, three, four. Oh, and the oh. swell. It's like it's a different song, but it isn't. Yeah, because again, okay. it's the it's the brilliance of introducing that vocal at the beginning. The I've seen all good people turn their heads each day because it's it even that is showing you that when you get to the second section that you're not thinking, well, it's oh. just a completely different song. It it's still it puts you that at the beginning, so that way when you get to this section, you've still got something familiar to hold on to. Yeah. Um, we're gonna we're also we're gonna get another incredible Steve Howe guitar solo here. Um, and this this whole groove is just so fun. Um, yeah. And it's gonna this it, some really cool things are gonna happen here. Just again, this is this this turns into a bit of a jam section, but as you've now started to see that a jam section with yes is not just a jam. Yeah. <laughs> They're gonna do some really cool things. Yellow guitar solo thing going on. Uh huh. And I, in my opinion, I think that in the early 70s, Steve Howe was probably the best guitar player in rock. It feels like he just is so versatile. Yes. It's just the, the astounding styles of guitar that he was a complete master of is just mind. It also feels like he's not 
leaving in the mistakes that, you know, um, Jimmy Page would be okay with leaving in another. Yeah, it's very, era. it's very clean. Like yeah. he's hit, he's not scratching on any of the strings or or missing. Like yeah. his rhythm is perfect. Is it's you can hear every <laughs> note clearly that he's hitting. Like you can tell he's not struggling playing that solo. Yeah, he's just like yeah, I can play the solo. Big deal. Yeah, it, it was it was <laughs> like he was transmitting it from his mind to our ears. Is Felt effortlessly. I mean, obviously, we weren't there in the studio when they were recording yeah. this, you know, with them. But you can hear it, though. You can tell, right? You listen to or "Heartbreaker" really by Led baby. Zeppelin. You can tell that he struggled through that solo. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's because he's doing all this that random other like, and and that just sounds like he's just walking in the park. Uh huh. There's that intro look again. So yeah, when we get to the ending of this song, they do something so cool. It's again, it's it's an incredibly simple idea, but it's just like you don't hear people do this. We've got like thirty seconds. Yeah, so you're gonna hear this really cool outro here in just a second. All right, we got. Okay, we're fading. <laughs> There's key changes, and they're just gonna continue to modulate down as it fades out. Again, this, is, this, is a, this is a really slow fade out. It's not a mind bending idea, but it's just like they could have they could have just ended yeah. them singing that out, but they're just like, what if we did this? It's just it's this extra level of detail. Like, how can we make this interesting? And with that, you and I will listen to and you and I. <laughs> and you and I. So everything that I was talking about is very similar to Roundabout. But it's gonna go it's gonna go in completely different direction than Roundabout. Oh, we got double digit minutes now. Uh Uh-huh. So this is off of the great close to the edge record. Um This is one of those songs that just like I've seen all good people, but in my opinion, in an even on an even more impressive scale just this idea of having simple music but it it goes in such incredible directions no one there's no really nice in the very back yeah just with this there's no there's no real solos on this song no one is showing off no one's doing these crazy complex but and really the song is a ballad a ballad that you don't feel is ten minutes long. And I'm me- already really invested in this intro. Yeah. yeah. There was like that bass and kick drum moment and then like there's chimes now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the little triangle. Check out that weird synth sound. Mm-hmm. Are they Grant, are they using some weird tuning on their acoustics? Probably. I wouldn't put it past it them. It sounds like an open tuning, yeah. I usually can't really tell tunings, especially when some somebody's just really good at guitar, you know. Um, so this song has four sections to it. So right now we're in the first section called "The Chord of Life," okay. and that's going to be pretty much the first four minutes of the song, and then we're going to have this very abrupt change, and that's going to take us to the second section, "Eclipse." Ooh. 
that'll that'll last for about three minutes. Um, when it returns, it's going to go to part three, the preacher, the teacher, and then we have a little bit of a like a thirty second epilogue that's called apocalypse. Oh wow! Apocalypse. Okay. Uh huh. All right. Are we going to get dark? No, but in a way, there's. It's almost. It, it is a bit chilling at the end, but in a way that I don't even really know how to describe. Oh man! So far, we'll really just have like to it. listen. Ah, oh, rats! Now you're going to hear this. There's these three lines that he things over and over again um coming quickly to term of all expression laid as a moment regained and regarded both the same emotion revealed as the ocean made there's those three lines he's going to say over and over again but every time he returns that phrase he's going to put them in a different order why i don't know probably because it just sounds awesome <laughs> and he'll always and he'll always end that series of three line all complete in the sight of seeds of life with you dang so he's just doing it just because yeah because it again it sounds good he'll he'll do it about five times total in the song man the, that there's a oh. ooh ooh whoa have you reached the Mellotron whoa! section yet right uh, I think we have. Where it just, the whole soundscape just opened. Dude, the yeah. guitar sounds like a whale. Mm-hmm. So this is Eclipse, the second I'm section. I'm so happy. This is one of the most majestic and beautiful moments of music that I've ever heard in my life. And I would, I would say probably the best use of a Mellotron in music history. Yeah. Um, yeah. No one played the Mellotron better than Rick Wakeman. He knew how to make it sound well and knew how to use it contextually to enhance a song. And the one you could say that there's this is the one part that you could say had a, a solo. It's a bit of a Mellotron solo, but again, he's not going to be shredding on it. He's not going to be playing. It's just he'll go into his own little melodic line here, but it's it's so beautiful. Oh, and we return back to a vocal line. Uh-huh. He's going to say those lines. Oh, that's... Uh, Dang, this feels huge. Mm-hmm. You, you said this wasn't going to be arena rock. It's it's not, like, it's not arena rock. Because it's not a, it's not a, uh, a hook sing-along moment. That's what arena rock is. Just because something's yeah. big doesn't make it arena rock. Well, I mean, but can't you see like everybody but know, yes, in this, the arena this, with their lighters out? This swinging. tends to be the song that everyone will sing along to. Um, this is the song that all of the prog couples in the audience are going to hold each other close. Because <laughs> the song is pretty much just about love on the cosmic scale. Love as a sentient being. As the energy that uh, that pervades the universe itself. We're back to that guitar intro thing. Yeah. So again, nothing is wasted. Everything that you hear will 
return in some way. Yeah. So if you ever hear something early on in the song, you're like, I really like that. Pay attention because it will come back. This is kind of inspiring, guys. I'm going to be real with okay. you. Really inspiring. Whoa, we got that folk. We got kind of a folk vibe coming back. Mm-hmm. With a <laughs> line over the top of it. It's so it's so whimsical. It it's you to me. Whenever I hear the song, I imagine myself in, uh, in a in a like a like a grove, and it's like you can. See, it's morning, and like the 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 green leaves are causing the light to have this light green view around you, mm-hmm. and just you can hear nature, and it's just it's so calming. Which I know that's exactly what they were going for. But this song, when every time I listen to it, it just like it puts me at rest. Okay, we're in a different section. Oh. Yes. So um we're now in the uh, the preacher, the teacher. This is this the first time that we've heard the bass? No. Um because he's cause the bass at the beginning on the bottom bottom. But the bass. Uh, this is this is definitely a song where Chris Squire steps backwards. He's not yeah, now. I'm like, oh, here's the bass is here now. Yeah, that's that's like the probably the first time in the song that you really notice a bass line. Yeah. Because they're gonna they're gonna start ramping it up again for the big finale of the song. Okay, another little synth solo. But it's if you hear it's 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 a reprise of that opening synth line that whenever the when the band first came in and you were like oh that's a really strange synth sound yeah wow okay oh got that three part harmony again uh huh and those same lines again yep but in a different order. I can't tell what the time signature is. I'm not gonna lie. I know. Feels... I I I listen to it. And I'm just like I I can't follow along. And you know what? I'm okay. Is I'm this not the gonna cry. Section now this giant majestic open thing. Uh huh. But we're still not at apocalypse yet. Oh, we're not. Okay. Apocalypse will be when the vocals come in one last time. We got the whale nice? guitar guys. That's so awesome. Mm-hmm. Like just again, this is a song. Like you get to the end of it, and you're just like, "How did you come up with this?" Because it it it's so unique sounding. It has both unique ideas and unique execution. Like it's it's experimental on all sides. It's they wrote a ten minute prog song without resorting to any of the prog cliches. I think we're about to be at the last section. Mm-hmm. Man, I don't... It's hard it's, to talk. It's hard to talk right now. I know. This is a moment you just got to let the moment sink in. Wow. Back to that. Man, the way that they use the acoustic... Mm-hmm. Guitar is so insane. Yeah, dude, that was. Oh, and there's like that little pitch upward. Uh huh. 
But we still got one last song. Whoa. Whoa. From the album Classic Yes. So Oh, I know this. So this is this is actually from Fragile, but I if you listen to the album version of it, it's got a an extra coda at the end that doesn't make sense unless you've listened to a different song previously in the album and I didn't want it wouldn't fit on our set. So I pulled uh a from a greatest hits version so that way it ends in the place that I want it to end. Okay. So Heart of the Sunrise. This is our big finale. This is the the song that closes the album Fragile. And this song Have you heard this? No. How have I heard this? I've I might have shown it to you before. Parts of it. It's oh, possible that I've showed this to you, Ethan. Yeah. Uh, this song is a masterclass in uh, in theme and recapitulation. This it's it's amazing how much mileage they get out of the couple of ideas that they use. So anytime you think, oh, we won't hear that again, even when you're getting further into the song, trust me, you'll hear it again. <laughs> um, this was the this was the great strength that Rick Wakeman brought to the band. He, because he had such a knowledge of classical form, um, he knew how to take all of these ideas and go, well, what if we put this here and put this here and then we foreshadow this here and bring it back here. It turned. This is literally a a classical romantic piece. Beethoven could have written this musical piece. The way that it's the way that it's constructed. This is not at all a rock song. We're gonna go like almost four minutes before the vocals even come in. Yeah, we just got to a slightly faster section. Well, for the drums, it's much faster. Oh yeah, that drum pattern is insane. I'm trying to figure out what that little thing is. So single, double, double, and then so it's right, left, right, right, left, left. Oh, like a like a paradiddle diddle, twice yeah. and then singles. Uh huh. Is that Maybe I'm not sure. Uh, but that's the main theme of the song is that No, it's four four. Yeah, I was I thought it was six one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six. Oh my gosh. And feel four four. I would say it's in like four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six. But it's like yeah. a four plus two feel instead of a three plus three. Oh, interesting. Interesting. So, Welcome to all, the section. All, all this that's going on right here, this intro is all just setting you up. Okay, we're at, we're oh. at a little. You got the vocals. Love comes to you when you follow. It's very. Um... And the meek shall inherit the earth. Uh-huh. Just kind of all quiet. 
just like, ooh, eventually we're going to be intense, I feel like. The yeah. first, oh, I recognize this now. The what, first uh, time that I ever that? heard this song was on Rock Band. And I didn't know how long the song was going to be. Yeah. I remember as I kept playing it, I was just like, oh my, when? how long is this song? <laughs> but I kept playing, I was just like, wow, what a freaking song this is. I just like I was playing in and I was just being blown away by everything that was happening. When you're asking how long the song is and it's not in a annoyed way. Yeah, because that's, a, I that's kept, a good thing for Prague. Yeah, because I kept getting excited. I was just like, oh, there's more. We're we're doing more. This is where the sandwich analogy still works. Uh-huh. Right? I'd rather have a foot long good sandwich, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially as I eat that last bite, it just sums up the whole of the sandwich. You know what I mean? Is that the Mellotron again? Mm, yes, when it does that, yeah. that that little climb up there. I believe so, yeah. So yeah, uh, this is this is I guess what you could call the, the verses, but there's no yeah. really there's no yeah. There's really no point in using normal music terms to classify mm. sections of the song. No. Because this is gonna move in a very It makes the most sense to say there's six sections, A, B, C, D, you know. Yeah. And then, so you say and then return. We're B section right now, because the whole that was the A section. This is the B section. We're gonna go to pretty crazy. Uh, yeah, when he hits that high note and the yeah. bass just comes in. Whew. Yeah, this this song has just so many incredible moments. So yeah, where we're gonna go after this is a pretty crazy instrumental section. And then the D section uh, is mostly propelled by a piano line, and then the E section is the is the big finale. Okay, we're in a weird part now. Oh, we've been in a weird part this whole time, Ethan. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> what you're talking about. The bada do bada do bada do bada do. Yeah, I know. Uh, oh, we're in a, also a weird part. Are you into the uh, the keyboard drum? We're back into the lyrics again. Okay, so you're about to enter the instrumental section. You'll know when it happens because it's going to start getting insane. Yep. Literally right as you said that. <laughs> oh, that's, that's very caressive, Steel. Oh, back to that A section. Mm-hmm. So just this is the point of the song where everything starts to just weave in and out. It's this song is this is a is this very complex tapestry because now there's going to be no even trying to think about what part of the song you're in because everything is going to start just blending in with each other. Like it almost starts to become like you 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 almost laugh at certain places because you're just like oh my gosh they just put that random section right in there but like you're laughing because it's awesome yeah not because you're like that's weird you yep oh there's that 
Yep. That. Ooh, it's getting quiet. Mm-hmm. Those I, remember, I, I was playing this. I thought that this was going to be the end of the song, and then it just, oh, oh, we're, we're, we're going to keep going. This piano line that comes in here is is amazing. Yeah. And this is going to be like the D section is mostly propelled by this piano line right here. But other things are going to weave in and out as well. Dude, those harmonized vocals. And they're shuffling that one random part. Oh, no. uh, also, we haven't really even talked about Bill Bruford on drums mm-hmm. and how incredible of a drummer he is. This is Heart of the Sunrise is like his his masterpiece drum performance. Yeah. Uh, we've been talking so much about Steve Howe and Chris Squire and Rick Wakeman, and John Anderson. We gotta we gotta talk about Bill Bruford. Mm-hmm. You can hear that jazz is his main uh, level of knowledge he's not a rock drummer and he he said that before he's just like i was a jazz drummer that joined a rock group because <laughs> you can hear that like, he doesn't really like hit this drum super hard he plays with a bit of a lighter touch yeah he's got a bit more of a a loose feel but that's you know that's what that's what makes yes sound like yes that little goes back in Synth string got like a minute right left. before the reprise. That was like the icing on the cake. So is this the B section again? Uh, yes. So the B section is our grand finale. Um... And it's just, it's going to get huge right here. And this is going to be our catharsis moment. Yeah. Everything building up to this mm-hmm. big last chorus. Again, chorus being a relative term. <laughs> oh, the build. It's a shame it only lasts like 20 seconds. Oh. Yeah, that little that little string part. Yeah. Oh, back to the A section. Wow. That was a nice proper prog epic right there. Yep. With with some extra little twists and turns. Even for prog. All right. Well that's yes. Yes, it is. I am ready to talk about this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I am. Me too. All right. When we come back, we are gonna give our final thoughts about uh, the yes songs that we just listened to. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Ethan. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just got done listening to our six-song set from Yes, which was Roundabout, Starship Trooper, South Side of the Sky, I've Seen All Good People, and You and I, and Heart of the Sunrise. And now it's time for our final thoughts. At the beginning, we give a ranking of uh, kind of before we listen to the set, before we get context on the band. And now it's time to give a new number or the same number or just see how um, our opinions have changed on the band. So Grant, start us off. Final thoughts, go. Well, I feel like I always go from a five to a seven for every, for every <laughs> band. And so I was joking with myself in my head, like, ooh, what if I was just like 
What if I went from a five to an eight? And then as we listen to the songs, I'm like, you know, I could I could make a strong argument for there being an eight, but at the same time, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay objective. I'm gonna put myself at a seven. I I just haven't listened to enough. Yes, but I really want to change that. I really I really want to listen. I because last week you know we did Steve Wonder. I'm like, ooh, I'm gonna listen to a whole bunch of Steve Wonder, and I did, and I am so glad that I did. I went all the way through um, songs in the key of life and inner visions and um, where I'm coming from. And it was like, I'm so glad that I did. And oh, so yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to do, I'm going to do the same thing with yes. I'm going to go through those three. Yeah, um, you need to let us know the next episode each time, kind of what, you, what you find after you do your deeper dive. Well, I, I feel like songs in the key of life was, I mean, that was like hit after hit after hit from my perspective. At least that's my oh, yeah. It's a freaking record. It was it was like there was no from what I could tell, it was very hard to find a weaker song. Uh-huh. It was like every time it changed songs, I'm like, ooh, this is a good song. This is a good song. This is a good song. So that's what I'm hoping to find with yes, at least on one of these records. I mean, sounds like they have less songs per record, so that shouldn't be too hard. <laughs> yeah. But um Man, yeah, I'm gonna have to say seven. Looking at eight, it's already like made me think about the way that I think about music. Mm-hmm. You know, as 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 different as they are from what I usually listen to, it's something that's still very very familiar. And um, I don't know. There's something. There's something really special about their music that I really like. That's all I have to say about that. My favorite one, man, I don't, I don't want to be the basic guy, but I got to say it's roundabout. I liked hearing all of the different parts of the song that I never actually heard before and how they all like play together. And the fact that the chorus was, it was still definitely very choral and it was definitely very big and it was obviously the chorus, but it was in a real proggy way that it, it still sat right. It didn't do the prog thing where it was like jolting you around, but it was the prog way and that it just, it went with what it was and it was just the music is what it is. And it was great. And I think that's really, really cool. So that's my justification. All right, Ethan. I think I probably should have reclassified myself at the beginning because I I said that I was a seven at the beginning, and I and I probably should have put myself at a six because I I think I realized how little of yes that I actually knew. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because I was like, oh, they're oh man, some of those songs I really like. You know, I love them. You know, but until now, like, because I had heard almost any of these songs so i don't think i I still don't think i could say that i'm an eight because like i i feel like i knew the big big ones you know and i and i probably foolishly thought that like oh because i know owner of a lonely heart and i know you know whatever that album was that i can't remember the name of with all the numbers 90125 it's like oh because i know that like oh yeah like i was always like oh yeah i get yes like I, i can put them in this box over here i understand that you know they're prog um but 
after today, and I would say, so I probably reclassify myself from a six to a seven, mainly. And I, th- I think that the song that did it for me, because Roundabout, Starship Trooper, Southside, and uh, I've seen all good people. I was like, this is really good. You know, this is, this is a a good band. And then we got to and you and I, and I was like stunned at and you and I. Which is obviously my favorite song, but I got uh, to that and I was just like, it, it's, "It goes back to what we were talking about with Prague." And I think my longer final thought is just like, the it is interesting that Prague has turned into like such like a metal heavy genre. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really know why that is, but like it got like Prague is so associated with like heavy now. And listening to And You and I and just the the emotions that it's it's because you know how I was talking about like I'm not really big into metal because I don't like like I, I just don't resonate with that emotional spectrum as well you know mm-hmm. yeah and so usually whenever it's like prog I'm like oh I like it because it's musical or or you know whatever mm-hmm. but then going to And You and I especially that intro it's just like they're tapping into a, a really unique emotional spectrum you know, and really grabbing me. And I think that that's what I'm attracted to. Yes. About is like, it's like the musicality is really high, but the in tuneness with like what they're trying to make the listener feel is really good. And it's a really complex, like arrangement that to make me feel that way, you know, but that's that's where my respect for yes is coming from is like they're making they're making me like it's just it's just a landscape that I had haven't really heard executed like this, you know, yeah, it's like being in a new country, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, it's like whoa, I've never listened to music that made me feel like this, mhm, or this combination of ingredients musically. Yeah, that's. I'm glad that you guys are responding this way because that's the same way that I felt when I started to hear all this stuff. It was literally like it was a door to a brand new world where I was just like, there's music that sounds like this that can do this kind of stuff. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, what have I been missing this whole time? Um,. I mean, for me, it's I'm at such a level with yes that I, I can't say that I'm. Why are I, they not a ten for you, man? What's stopping them? I mean, in my opinion, they pretty much well be might well be a ten. If there if there is a fifth pillar, it's it's hard. Like they are at the same level that Dream Theater and Metallica. And, um, and Coldplay said of just those bands that were so deeply personal to me and influential to me. Um, they're just not one of the four pillars, but they sit right there. Like, if a fifth pillar is made, yes, would have to be in very serious consideration. Yeah. To be- there and that's not recently that's that's been like that for about 10 years now like i would say i listen to yes 
more than any other band during my college years. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a, once you open that door into that level of prog, it's just, it's, it gets crazy. But in my opinion, I don't think anyone did it better than yes. In that era. I think that what gives Rush the slight edge is that Rush stayed great for a much longer period of time. Hmm where yes has like that three album period is pretty much untouchable but then after that it starts to get hit or miss but mm. there's still some incredible like you've got uh they've, they've got an album uh called going for the one that came out in like 77 that's like a super underrated record that like every song on that album is pretty awesome you've you still got Albums like 90125 that are just like, it's so different from what we just listened to, yet it's still so awesome. And then all their, most of their other albums still have like one or two songs. You're just like, man, this is a really great song. What's your favorite? My favorite is Andy Would Die. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's so unique. It's just one of those songs. It's it's always the song I go to, and I'm just like, why don't prog groups make songs like this anymore? It's songs like that that kind of make me mad about the cliches of prog, where, again, it's just like you feel like there's a formula to it. It makes you kind of go back and listen to some other prog groups, and you're just like, you're not trying hard enough. Yeah, you and I is a is a brilliant move by a band that was really trying to do something special. Well, I think that Prague has now evolved less of an emotional um, experimentation to now it's just a very te- a technical exploration. Yeah, of yeah. Music. Which, in my opinion, that's not Prague is not time signatures. Prague is not technical playing to me prog is experimentation taking music places that it hasn't gone and to me a song like and you and i is is about as pure of a uh, yeah a pure of a declaration of that as you can find well because you could technically arrange and you and i with instruments for it to be any genre and it would still be good music. Yeah. Like it, it does. It's not like, Oh, if this, if this wasn't rock, you know, then it would be horrible. Like it's just pushing music in a direction and pushing arrangement in a certain way. Like instead of a Mellotron, like having live strings and instead, you know, like you can, you could do the same you could change out elements and the song would still be an incredible song with whoever you put on it. Uh-huh. Now let's talk about where everything falls on our ranked playlist. All right. Yeah, you're not gonna, does Harry have a pick? I'll, I'll get to that after that. Okay, 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 okay. Um, so uh, coming in at number 14 is South Side of the Sky, which 14 is, is not yeah. a bad place at all to be. Yeah. Um, after that is Starship Trooper at number seven. We've got Roundabout at number six. 
I've seen All Good People at number five, Heart of the Sunrise at number three, and And You and I at number two. Ooh, we don't have the number one. We don't. Is it Honor of a Lonely Heart? No, it's not. Okay. That would be really cheesy. <laughs> that would be weird. <laughs> um, I can even tell you what number one is. Yeah. It's, it's Close to the Edge. It's the 18-minute epic on Close <laughs> to the Edge. Ooh. That song is as, like, it's an even higher ratchet up on what And You and I does. Wow. It's one of those songs you listen to and you kind of don't even know what's happening to you. <laughs> I would say that it gives 2112 a run for its money for being the greatest of the prog epics. Wow. It's it's that level. So um so yeah, that's where that lies. So yeah, it's it's really cool that we can hear all these great songs and we still haven't even heard the number one. Yeah, it's true. Harry, which I, I like to I like to always talk about Harry's pick because he always listens to the songs with me as I research for these episodes. Um, I would say that Harry has gotten harder into Yes than any band that I've researched so far. It seems to be the trend. Every band he gets more yeah, every, every he just like he gets more into music. Oh man, like he pretty much got on every single album of theirs and was just downloading songs onto his playlist. Just like, ooh, put this on my playlist. Put this on my playlist, Dad. <laughs> um, I would say that his favorite was Starship Trooper. Wow. With him, anything space-related tends to be his favorite. It's the reason why Space <laughs> Trucking was his favorite. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Space oh, yeah. Trucking. One of his favorite things, next to dinosaurs and sharks. Dude, dinosaurs, shark. sharks, a and man space. of a so man just... of fine taste, liking sharks. So when I told him that Starship Trooper uh, was about outer space, he was just like, oh, "I love that song," <laughs> and he always would ask me to put it on more than any of the other songs. Although, Heart of the Sunrise was pretty close behind. So that's our episode. This was a really fun one to make. Uh, and I'm, yeah. I'm glad that you guys enjoyed, enjoyed it so much. So uh, thank all of y'all for listening, for uh, continuing to support the podcast. Um, we actually have a bit of a new rather than new episodes coming out at 9 a.m. on Mondays. They're going to come out midnight. So for those of you guys that perhaps – have early morning commutes or those of you guys that are on a different part of the world we do have a global audience you you guys might be able to hear it maybe in a time that's can more convenient for you so um starting with this episode expect them uh monday at midnight nine hours earlier that's right we do it Versus, all for you guys. Uh, 15 hours later and for those of you that are patrons you'll be able to hear uh the episode early at uh, midnight on Friday. So if you want to be able to hear the episode a couple days before everyone else and become a patron, uh, the link to our Patreon page is in the description of the episode. 
You'll also get access to uh, the Bad Music Podcast. We're going to talk about the six worst Yes songs, which just it breaks my heart after we were so uh, <laughs> so nice this, to Yes. So this now is we how you really sell it, though. That's right. If, if the worst songs <laughs> are bearable, then you know you like the band. Yeah, they're not really. Okay. Uh oh. <laughs> so, it comes with the territory of being experimental. Yeah. Yeah. It's you're you're gonna you're gonna miss when you when you swing for the fences like they do. Oh, that's true. I mean, Metallica. Yeah. So, um, if you want to hear us talk about those, um, then make sure you become a patron. Uh, the other link in the description will take you to the Spotify playlist where you can listen to these songs. Please, please, please listen to these songs. Uh, I want to emphasize that even more on this episode because these songs are really, really good. Um, You don't want to miss out on them. Make sure to uh, check us out on social media. We are really starting to make our social media a lot more active. So we encourage you guys to uh, engage in our posts and our stories. Message us. Let us know what artists you want us to cover next. Uh, If you're a big Yes fan and we did not talk about your favorite song, let us know about it because we're definitely going to come back to Yes and do another episode on them at some point. So tell us what song you would like to make it into the next Yes episode. And make sure to leave us a review and make sure to tune in next week. Um, Next week is going to be one of the uh, fan-requested and we're actually going to do something that we have never done before, a new type of episode. Rather than talking about a band, we're going to talk about a person. Ooh. A person that was in multiple great bands. And we're going to kind of do like a trek of their career. Oh, that's cool. And, be, and look at songs from several different bands that they were in. So it's like a musician. So yeah, so it's going to be about a musician rather than a one group. So, cool. uh, if you guys want to see who I, we're going to be, I think I know who it is. Well, I have a couple of ideas actually. If you want to know who it is that we're going to be talking about, make sure you check in next week. And that's it. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. I'm Ethan. Keep on listening to good music.